Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today's episode is from Season 1, Episode 4, called If the Star Should Appear, written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by James L. Conway. Before we get into the episode, we have another review to read. (laughs) If you would like us to read one of your reviews on the show, all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and write a review there, as well as put five stars for your rating. We're not going to bother with anything less than five stars, because, I mean, (laughs) this is a five-star show. So our review today comes in from Wizard Web who starts by saying, a perfect companion to the show. This is one of those rare podcasts where I don't just listen and am entertained. I want to be in the room discussing it, too. Some great points of view that give honest praise and valid criticism where needed and fun facts along the way. Loving it. (gasps) That's an awesome review. It's a great review. Thank you, Wizard Web. Wizard Web. I just, I I, I like the, it's a good description of what we're doing is just, talking about stuff and i'm glad people like enjoy our conversations about same yeah i mean we would talk about it anyway but we appreciate that you guys are listening and leaving us those wonderful comments so thank you very much keep in mind other ways to get in touch with us if you'd like to email us with questions or comments you can email quantum drive at thegeekgeneration.com if you'd like to contact or follow us on twitter that's at quantum drive pod And if you'd like to join our Discord and talk with us about the show there, you can go to thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. Before we get into the episode discussion, Katie's got some trivia for us. Oh, boy. This episode was interesting because it was more like philosophical. So Mm -hmm. I found some cool stuff about this episode. Like I had mentioned in a past episode that this episode was supposed to be the second episode of season one. Yeah, and I think it shows. See, they said it was because it performed poorly with test audiences. I will say I liked this episode better than episode two command performance. Way better. And the reason I bring this up again is because in this episode, you see Dr. Finn treating Yafet, and Yafet's still persistent and and kind of trying to woo her, and she seems unfazed by it, when in the last episode, she was pissed off about Mm -hmm. it. And so um, I just thought it was interesting, the contrast, because she just kind of seemed more tolerant of Yafet. When in the last episode, she's like, get out! <laughs> because of the switch, they didn't build that up properly anymore. Mm-hmm. So that should have been the first interaction of that. And then the next one where she's really annoyed is him trying again. Mm-hmm. The music used when the away team enters the bioship is from Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I thought it was kind of neat. I don't know what the licensing on something like that is, but... I mean, maybe... Well, they have so many Star Trek tie-ins. Maybe they got some special <laughs> maybe. deal. Or they're, <laughs> maybe they have a, a background music cover band. I don't know. <laughs> they just have a band that plays... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the quote recited by Dr. Finn, which also serves as the title of this episode, is from Nature, an essay by Rolf... Rolf? Rolf? Ralph Waldo Emerson... And it's in reference to his um, essay, which is from 1836 on the philosophy of transcendentalism. Oh, I didn't know what it was about. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you're curious and want to Google, look up transcendentalism. Cool. The episode has similarities with Star Trek, the original series episode for World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, where an asteroid is said to collide with a Federation planet and is found to harbor an alien civilization that has forgotten its ancient, advanced past. And the asteroid is, in fact, a generation ship. That's cool. I'm, I'm not familiar with uh, the TOS, most of the TOS premises. So me this either. still felt fairly original to me, even if mm-hmm. it was inspired by that. Yeah. I. Fun fact about me, I haven't watched the original series either. I've seen, like, little bits. So, I mean, I just... Through and through, Next Generation is where it's at for me, but I'm going to try to work through Voyager and Discovery and all the other seasons that I need to, Yeah, because I I feel like I'm missing out on that. Isaac asked the bridge crew to explain the meaning of the word dick. However, Alara used that word in front of Isaac in the episode Command Performance. This continuity error arose because the episodes are out of order. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's another thing. And I think there's, I mean, we'll get to them in the episode itself. But I think there are certain conversations that happen that definitely should have happened earlier in the continuity of the show. 
that take place here instead. I agree. Now that, yeah, now that I'm, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but thinking through the episode, I'm like, oh, this would have worked better as a second episode. Yeah. While inside the bio ship, the ground team wears Duralian spots around their face. But when the team enters the bio ship bridge, their spots are gone. Yeah, I wrote, I made a note of that too. And it's not just the spots. It's their clothing has completely changed. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Although, which, which part are you referring to? Cause I'm thinking about they change into the Duralian clothing and have the spots to mm-hmm. go into the city. And then when they're going and finding that hatch to go mm-hmm. to the bridge, then those spots are gone and they're back in uniform. Yeah, that's what I like that when they're heading to that bridge yep. of the bio ship is yeah. when it all. So I guess I maybe they just changed out of it. I just that was something that I thought was notable. I assume they did, but it's very abrupt. Yeah, it was abrupt, too, when they went to the city mm-hmm. center and all of a sudden they're like, and in my head, I was like, wait, my head cannon was trying to be like, did I miss a scene yeah, or something to fit those? Yeah. The vessel in distress is the USS Druian, named after Andruian. Am I saying that wrong? I don't know. I don't even know who that is. Okay. Wife of Carl Sagan and co-writer of his book, Cosmos. Oh, so nice nod to Sagan. I know. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. The Bioship is based off of Ridley Scott's 1979 space thriller Alien and its spaceship, the Nostromo. I can Nostromo? T- Nostromo, yeah. Nostromo. I can totally see that. And so Luke McDonald, he's the visual effects supervisor of the show, said, the ship is 100% based off the Nostromo. I absolutely adore that ship. The Orville is very fluid and organic, and the Bioship is supposed to be 2,000 years old. It feels like that kind of Nostromo hardcore little bits and pieces as opposed to the sleek, vacuum-formed look of the Orville. Mm, I think that's a good choice. I think it works as intended, yeah. The Bioship Capitol building scenes were shot at the Disney Ranch in Santa Clarita. But something notable about this, there were 120 background people, and according to the costume designer, all their boots were custom-made and their clothing aged. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would take a lot of work for 120 extras. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm wondering where all of them were because, yeah, there's the the mob that he incites outside, but that's the biggest crowd we see, isn't it? I think so, but I, I'm i guessing there's people milling about and probably through, I think the whole sequence with the Capitol building, there's probably a lot of extras that I just, I'm always focused on the main actors. Same, so I don't, same. Which is terrible because like all this like attention to detail is going on in the background. But that's it's supposed to be background though. That's the thing. Like mm-hmm. if it felt weird, we might not know why. But the reason yeah. that it feels fine is because they're doing all that work. Mm-hmm. So those are my fun facts, and I found some fun guests that were either hidden or a part of this episode. Yeah. The first one, I think it's kind of obvious, but Liam Neeson. Who's that? <laughs> Liam Neeson, who is that? Um, he is Dural. Yes. And we see him at the end. So if you didn't know, that's Liam Neeson. <laughs> and he has a McFarlane connection. Wait, w- tell me. I don't. I, I missed that. He was in A Million Ways to Die in the West. I haven't seen that movie. But I, I, I want to see it. I just never got around to it. So I didn't. I actually didn't know he was in that. And Seth McFarlane's sister, Rachel McFarlane, is the voice of the computer. Yeah. And she does a lot of voices on his cartoons and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that he's one of those guys that just likes to use his people over and over. Yeah. I like that, too. And another example of that is Max Burkholder, who plays Tomalin. Mm-hmm. He was, I know him from Parenthood. He played Max Braverman. Yep. But he's also voice characters on Family Guy, American Dad, and The Cleveland Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see him in things here and there. Uh, and he's definitely getting more little parts like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then my last guest is Robert Nepper. He appeared in Star Trek The Next Generation, episode Haven, as Deanna Troy's betrothed. Yes, Wyatt Miller. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember that. that's the one where he's painting or drawing pictures of this mystery woman. I just think it's, I mean, it's, I love that there's Star Trek intertwined in this show. Absolutely. Even in like all the little ways. And uh, Robert Nepper was in an episode of Star Trek Voyager, the episode Dragon's Teeth as a Valdwar, I don't know if I'm saying that race correctly, Valdwar <laughs> soldier named Gaul. I need to watch Voyager so I can see his cameo. He's in under that. heavy makeup, so you wouldn't even recognize yeah. him, honestly. But now I know and I can look for it That's whenever true. I come to that episode. So those are all my fun facts, and those are all the guest stars that I 
thought were interesting from this episode. Fantastic. Well, let's hop into the episode. We begin with Clyden waking Bordis to try and discuss being neglected. Bordis gets up to get ready for his shift early, so Clyden gets some ice cream and sits down to watch The Sound of Music, apparently starting in the middle of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for, for a second I was like, I've seen The Sound of Music a lot. That was the one VHS set that my grandparents had. So we watched it all the time yeah. when I was a kid. We'd go and visit Granny and Granddad and watch The Sound of Music, which is like a three-hour-long movie. But it is interesting because Clyden is like, give me what Commander Grayson said depressed people yeah. eat depression food. And then he gets Rocky Road and he sits down and he says, play a movie that'll make me happy. And it starts the the sound of music. I mean, would you say it's a, a happy movie? So I, I certainly would not choose the sound of music for something to make me happy. But I have seen some trivia on Seth MacFarlane that mm -hmm. at one point he referenced it as one of his favorite movies. It's a great movie, and it was one of the few movies that my granddad actually loved. But I just, and maybe as a kid, like, it is more upbeat than it is down. Mm. But it is interesting that it started halfway through the movie. It is a little <laughs> odd. Um, also, this scene ultimately has no connection to the rest of the episode in any way whatsoever. Was Topa even? Well, it's shot out of order. So he says yes, yeah. family. I don't know if this scene was added on. But he mm -hmm. does talk about spending time with his family, but there's no reference of a son or Topa or anything like that. So I don't know if it's purposely vague or if they mm -hmm. were got lucky and it was coincidentally vague. But yeah, this this has nothing to do with anything. I feel like I enjoyed this scene because there's Bordis and Clyden have the stare down before Bordis leaves to go to the bridge. That's, yeah, that's fun. The only reason I think that maybe it kind of makes sense with stuff is because Bordis had to take over the bridge command mm -hmm. shortly after he got there. But I'm wondering if it's going to, I think it's maybe setting up more of Bordis and Clyden's relationship dynamic. It's a very early look at that. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that maybe stuff down the road will come into play. But I enjoyed it for the comedy of it. But it was just kind of like middle. Was it like in my head? It's the middle of the night. Yeah. And Clyden's like, I would like to talk. And it's like, well, are you both sleeping? I mean, I guess. And then when they get to the bridge, I'm like, oh, everybody else is awake. And then my brain was like, oh, you need someone on the bridge at all times. Right. So. Right. But yeah, I enjoyed it just because it <laughs> showed like when you have a fight with your partner, you just eat ice cream and put on a happy movie. It was a weird way into the episode, but mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a strange opening. <laughs> Maybe maybe since we're rewatching stuff too, I've seen stuff in the future, but I just I wonder if I'm gonna see that tie in more clearly now mm. that we're watching it for a second time true, through. True. While mapping stars, the Orville picks up a space vessel larger than any they've encountered before. I found it was weird that um the the ship is so large. Yeah. And they go right up to it. Oh, yeah. Like I in the book that I have, it said the ship is this, supposed to be the size of New York State. But in the show, Dr. Finn says it's the size of like New York City. But the ship like the Orville's dwarfed when it's next. Oh, to yeah. It. And it is like, yeah, you would think maybe they would scan it a little more before they just approached it at such a rapid speed. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> maybe they did scan it and they're like, oh, maybe there's no weapons on it or something. That's also possible. Actually, I, I don't know why it would have weapons. Like, that would be incredibly difficult to destroy. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's like maybe 2,000. Did they know it was like 2,000-year-old tech Not yet. when they first put? So, yeah, I guess at the time, it, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they're just ballsy, yeah. and they're just like, we're exploring. This is what life's about, and they're just going for it. They find out in the next scene, upon further investigation, they discover the ship is nearly 2,000 years old and that the engines no longer work. It's traveling on inertia alone. Also, if its path continues, it will collide with a star in about six months. So maybe that's why they pulled up so quick, because they're like, oh, it has no, it's dead in the water, yeah. essentially. And so they, but I mean, my thing is like, when they were in the zoo, the Calavon Zoo, mm -hmm. they thought everything was great with that, and they just went full bore into that. So I just kind of feel like maybe, maybe that's another reason, like the out of order-ness of the show mm. episodes shows a little bit more because I, I think they would have learned a lesson from a command performance. Yeah. Based on just approaching a giant ship that's 2000 years old. They show a 
bit of reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like it's kind of their style, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just the way the Mercer likes to play it. Just like, ah, yeah, fine. We're good. Yeah, it'll be all right. <laughs> An away team of Captain Mercer, Commander Grayson, Alara, Dr. Finn, and Isaac take a shuttle and dock with the ship. Uh, they have a coincidentally easy-to-get-in dock that doesn't seem like it's much of a problem. As mm-hmm. they enter the interior, they discover that it's a bioship which contains an entire ecosystem. They also realize that their communications can't penetrate the hull, so for now they're out of contact with the Orville. The team splits up into two groups to explore. Even before that, Yafit sexually harassed Dr. Finn again. That's Just true. want to point That's that out. <laughs> and she took it a lot um, better this time because, you know, timey-wimey. Yeah, he was just kind of like super like, oh, let's get sloppy back. And I'm like, that is so inappropriate uh-huh. to say to like somebody just in general. But yeah, so Dr. Finn got out of that because she had to go uh, on the away mission. They said the jar of pickles line again. They did, which I'm sure you loved. I may or may not have rolled my eyes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, can you open this jar of pickles? But when they were crossing the bridge once they entered the ship mm-hmm. in the height and everything, do you think those were apartments or like, what do you think that was that just like across the bridge? Well, when they were crossing the bridge, yeah. like they along the walls, mm-hmm. there were like those lit up things in my head. I, I don't know if I'm just trying to do some filling in the space. Like, was that just, you know, life support or is it like it looked like apartments to me? Yeah, I kind of thought of everything from the outside of the ecosystem to the hull of the ship kind of like a buffer space yeah like that's that's the duct work like they're going in the walls to fix the house in my opinion okay that makes more sense because in my head i'm like is this like apartment buildings and then they have the bios dome when you get into there like that's where you can go hang out during the day Mm -hmm. but it makes more sense that it's the walls yeah (laughs) i I assume there's kind of like a bridge crew then there's an engineering crew that would be like in the walls, which <laughs> just call them the walls, uh, in the walls, kind of fixing <laughs> and maintaining everything. But then the bulk of everybody is actually inside of the bioship part. But here's the thing. Nobody was out there and they got lucky that stuff lasted. It's a little odd that they would have ended up in the situation that they did. Mm-hmm. I don't know but there, how. It's not so far fetched, but like obviously things got them there yeah at some point they stopped bridge duty <laughs> yeah but that's the thing too is like they're just kind of like i don't know they got lucky is all they I'm did. Say. insanely <laughs> yeah. lucky yeah ed dr finn and isaac are walking through the woods when they come across a cabin on the way they have the conversation about isaac asking ed about his divorce with kelly mm-hmm. which was a thousand percent a conversation that should have been in a second episode not after mm-hmm. we've seen two other ones in between, because this was kind of answering a lot of the questions that the first episode brought up, like what happened, how did they feel about it? And four episodes in, that stuff is nowhere near as important. Yeah, I remember when I was rewatching their conversation and then when they cut over to Alara and Kelly, their conversations too, I was like, this is a lot of like, it's weird that they're talking about this now. Yeah. And then, you know, knowing that they're out of order, it makes a lot more sense. We learn a little bit more about the K-Lon, like how they quote unquote reproduce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just seemed kind of like awkward conversations to have like four episodes in. Like at that point, the crew has been through so much. Like it just seemed like odd small talk. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, it kind of worked because you learn more about the characters. It does help with that. And it's I think it's easier to overlook. If this was like episode 10, I'd be like, what? Yeah. But since it's episode four, it, it it's kind of not too far mm, off. Definitely remnants of the switch. But yeah, mm-hmm. they knock and introduce themselves, but are fired upon by one of the inhabitants who Isaac stuns. When they enter the cabin, they find a woman who seems to be confused by the information they present, as well as her son, Tomalin. When questioning Tomalin, Isaac deduces that the inhabitants don't seem to realize that they're on a spaceship. I I mean, I really enjoyed the part, like, Isaac shot his dad. <laughs> the dad came out of guns blazing with, like, an actual, like, pump shotgun or something like that. Ed had a great reaction, too. Just like, holy yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, did you, 
wait, did he just stun them, right? Like, I, I thought that was really funny because I was like, what if they just killed the dad? Right? But Like, nobody told Isaac not to, but he must have yeah. some sort of protocol. And I asked myself this question in my head, and then they answered it right away. I was like, do they have their phaser set to stun? Or do they actually kill people? Mm. And then that's when Ed had the whole, like, you had it on stun, right? And I was like, oh, okay. Because in my head, I was like, they can't be killing people left and right yeah. on this. Like they, But I, I loved the mom because she was just so taken aback. I thought her reaction was perfect to what was going mm-hmm. on. Tomlin was so chill about all of it. I think one, because he's younger and mm-hmm. kind of, and because he's a reformer, he's already willing to accept the new ideas. Mm-hmm. He's like the rebellious teen. Mm-hmm. And I just, I enjoy the, the thing when the mom was like, you shut your mouth with that blasphemy. And like, it made me laugh really loud. But I, I just like how Tomlin was like, peace, mom. I'm going to go show these guys around. Right. Like, just, I mean, literally just left his mom to to deal with the stunned dad in the yard. <laughs> like, just, all right. She's probably freaking all right, out. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Kelly and Alara are also discussing the divorce when a vehicle arrives and asks them for ID. When they're unable to provide any, they shoot Alara and knock out Kelly, taking her with them. Okay. <laughs> I have a few things. Sure. Alara's insecurity is really interesting to me. She's talking about, oh, it's not really working out with Josh because he doesn't like that I'm stronger Mm -hmm. than him. And it seems to me like they're alluding that she's got a crush on Ed. I got that impression as well. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a little weird because she's like, the captain doesn't seem intimidated by my strength or whatever. And I just. It's not the person you want to talk to about it. No, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's Kelly, his ex-wife. And I picked up on the fact that she was kind of alluding to like, oh, I got a crush on Ed. But also, can we talk about how Alara got shot? Mm-hmm. She's the security officer. Mm-hmm. Like, she started approaching them. Granted, you don't know how people are going to yeah. react, but they had guns on them. And why would you start walking towards them? I mean, she did kind of go in a motion of, hey, let's, and then boom, like out of nowhere, they shoot her. I don't think she was crazy out of line like she has been okay. before. But why wouldn't they take Alara with them? Like they just shot and she just rolls down the hill. They left her for dead. But like she's still an outsider. True. Like wouldn't you want to make sure, quote unquote, the job's taken care of if. That's a fair point. So I just thought that was interesting. But the whole thing that I took away from that is like she's definitely got a crush on Ed and uh, she's talking to the ex-wife about it. Yeah. And it just the whole it was just it was mm. either that or she mm. has some daddy issues and looks at Ed mm-hmm. as her father, giving her praise. Yeah, that could be that. And the thing is, um, again, it was like another conversation that would have fit well with an episode. Oh, totally. Two. Back on the Orville, a distress call is received by a vessel under attack by the Krill. Bordis launches a communications buoy and takes the ship to help out. I liked the forethought of using a communications buoy like that. Because I don't think that's something I've really seen before. No, I don't. I was. I, I think that's an important thing. And it makes sense mm. for if they have to go deal with the krill that they wouldn't just leave nothing to the away team. I uh, I I like to point out that Bordis is an amazing <laughs> when he takes over, like he does an amazing job of being in charge and just like handles stuff really well, which <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. I mean, we love seeing Alara in the captain's chair, but <laughs> but I think had this episode come before that, it would have made Bordis's refusal to do it that much more infuriating. And it would have mm-hmm. made Alara's attempt to go get him much more understandable. Mm-hmm. In that context, I might have liked the second episode a little bit more just because... You, see, I mean, Bordis has a cool, calm command. Like he's dealing with issues. Mm-hmm. He's not freaking out. And I, I think, I mean, the, obviously, the show was at like the episodes were put out of order because of reasons. And like, I'm now trying to like fit it back to be like this would have been a great episode too, but it's not that way. So like, watching the show in the order yeah. it actually is can be. It, it's just interesting that, like, I, that they move stuff around. And I think this would have been a great second episode, honestly. It's why you don't test stuff and let you don't let people tell you what is best for your show and you just mm-hmm. do it the way you want. Because ultimately, like the response to this 
This is, I, I read that this is the second most well-received episode of this season, generally. I loved the humor in this episode, too. It was like a little drier, a little more sarcastic. And I, I just, on a whole, I thought this episode was really well put together. As do I. Tomlin brings the crew to a remote barn where he introduces them to the Reformers, a group of people that believe there's more beyond the world they know. They inform the crew that their society is governed through a dictatorial theocracy and that Hamelak, the first guardian of the word of Dural, would put them all to death for even discussing the existence of outsiders. It is interesting, like the reformers aspect of the show. What I liked about this episode is very it deals with like philosophical issues and religion mm -hmm. and the way they approach it is very I, th I think it's a very interesting way to approach it. I like that they they're like, do you want some food? And the food is obviously disgusting. Is he the only one eating? Did anyone else get food? There was like really no reason to have that besides a laugh. Yeah. But I appreciated it because he's like, where's your garbage? And I just I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It brought some lightness into it. But the whole discussion is about like we're in a religious fanatical society and we don't think things add up. Mm. And so it's just interesting because even if you're that isolated in your own world on a bio ship, that you're still going to have people with that kind of thought process. Yeah, totally. That there's something else out there. I loved the quote from, I guess you could call him the leader of the reformers. Uh, he says, many people refuse to accept an irrefutable truth simply because that truth puts them in the wrong. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great line. It's just interesting that like, it's like issues in our in our world too. It's just like if you don't agree with somebody, they're gonna tell you you're mm -hmm. wrong, kind of thing. But like the free thinking is still finds a way yeah. in a, like such an isolated community, and also like just that I'm thinking over those two thousand years that there were like whispers and rumors of things, and like they probably got passed down, and like that's probably there's probably always been reformers, the remnants of the truth, kind of seeping yeah. their way through. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that's kind of interesting to think about. Same. Ed receives a call from Alara, who tells him she's been shot. Tomlin goes with the crew to find her. Yeah, I like how Tomlin just tags along. <laughs> I mean, he does know his way he around. He does, yeah. But doesn't it seem dangerous for Tomlin to be tagging along? Yeah, yeah. Although, <laughs> honestly, he's probably safer with them than anyone else, really. That's true. I loved the tech for... Oh, the medical tech, yeah. Alara. yeah. The taking the bullets out and the fact that she only survived because she was slaying because of her strength and everything, which I was like, that makes sense. I think like a human would have just completely bled yep. out. But just I really wish that that kind of medical tech was real. Oh, I uh, <laughs> every time I see a hypo spray on TNG and I'm like, they don't mm -hmm. have needles. I would love that. <laughs> I just love where she's just like, all right, I'm going to switch this around and it's going to heal all your skin and all that. And I'm just like, I just want. Yeah. You have a broken bone. Uh, let me take care of that. You'll be good in like 20 mm -hmm. minutes. Because I think they've alluded to it. They like cancer is not a thing. It seems like that. And just like, I don't know. I just hope someday that that's this is all a reality. I know. Like, this kind of medical technology. Kelly is taken to the city where Hamelak is inciting a mob. His enforcers toss a reformer to the crowd and they beat him to death. Once inside, Hamelak questions Kelly about who she is and where she comes from. Can we just talk about how like they beat a guy to death? I mean, yeah, Hamelak's whole like speech and just kind of he incites a mob mentality. Mm -hmm. And then they throw this guy who is a reformer. Yeah. Just to, you know, just because he disagrees with them and they just like literally beat him to death. It's a crazy scene, but it definitely gets across the point of how much these people are into their religion. Mm -hmm. And then he sees Kelly, who's clearly wearing different clothes mm -hmm. and looks very alien in a way. And they bring her inside. And I, I mean, he is the worst kind of bad guy. Yeah. Because oh. <laughs> Oh, he doesn't take any responsibility for anything. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of like the religious like zealot kind of I'm better than you. Yeah, I can't stand the villain that's like and he says it flat out. I didn't kill anyone. Yeah. Do you see blood on my hands? Yet he clearly knows. 
he is the worst. He's just the worst. And like he's like he's like the kind of evil that's scary. Yeah. And and it's not even like you can't attribute it all to religious conviction. No. Because you could be a religious fanatic and not be a violent one. Yeah. It's like that power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a little corruption. And then he uses the religion as a way to justify his terrible behavior. Yeah. And the way he the way he addresses his enforcers when they show up with Kelly, he has a very like let's sweep this under the rug type. In that he's great in this episode, Robert Napper. Mm-hmm. As much as I hate his character, I know it's because we're supposed to hate him. Yeah. But I love his performance. In just a little bit of a nod and a head tilt, he's saying, hey, take her through, like, the back door. Like, I don't want people seeing her Mm because he knows something's going on and he doesn't want to admit it to anybody. Oh, I just he did a great job because I hate his character. Yeah. And he conveyed that he is just scum (laughs) of the earth kind of thing, because, I mean. Yeah, the not taking responsibility, just being like, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just what, this is just how it is. And I'm like, you're just a bad person and you're in charge. So, and that just was not a happy accident that no. you're justifying your behavior this way. The away team finds Alara and Dr. Finn removes the bullets and heals her. Assuming that they'll need backup to rescue Kelly, Ed sends Isaac to contact the Orville. He informs the captain that the Orville is currently away. So this kind of goes against what we said about Ed before is just kind of going in with reckless abandon. He actually mm-hmm. is taking the thought to be like, okay, w- we could go after her, but we should probably have backup. We need more people. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they get in a little too deep mm-hmm. and then they try to like backtrack a little bit. I will say about the shuttle, they're totally gaming chairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that's just, like, I just, they're like modified. So if if you're not familiar with video game culture there's like specialized gaming chairs and i'm pretty sure the shuttle chairs are just modified gaming chairs i'm sitting in my orville shuttle (laughs) seat right now they're supposedly really comfortable and they're good for your back and if you're sitting for a long time um but i just i I, it's silly that that's what i'm noticing i just i want i want to talk to somebody who can confirm that for me like which brand did just, you get? Which brand of chair do you have? How so, do I get an Orville shuttle yeah. seat? <laughs> they should do that. I'd buy one. I would buy one. Too. Please. The Orville and a Krill vessel are firing upon one another, and a maneuver by Lamar allows them to destroy the enemy ship. Boom! I know. I love John's reaction to yeah. this. He just jumps up and is... Yeah, I... <laughs> I think that's the most animated I've seen his character. Oh, totally. And I like Bordis's reaction to it. Even though I totally support Lamar's response, mm-hmm. I still like Bordis's reaction of, dude, get like get a grip <laughs> on <down>. yourself. <laughs> Be a professional. I mean, we don't know how long of a fight they've had, but it seemed like they destroyed that ship fairly quickly, the Krill. Y- yeah. I mean, it probably took them longer to get there than it did to wreck the Krill vessel. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like an easy battle. <laughs> Which is surprising, considering the mm-hmm. last encounter we saw with them. I agree. Because, well, th- maybe this wasn't a battle cruiser, and maybe there was, you know, true, maybe. True, and maybe the Orville <laughs> surprised them a little bit. Yeah. Plus, you know, Lamar just had his great maneuver, so. Why not? I know, and he, I, I mean, he had a reaction that was worthy <laughs> of his great maneuver. <laughs> Hamilak has resorted to torturing Commander Grayson for information. Ed, Alara, and Dr. Finn arrive in the city dressed as locals and gain entry to the building where Kelly is being held. So, yeah, this is where they show up in the Duralian clothing. They have mm-hmm. the alien markings on them. And it is so abrupt that I'm like, okay, when did, like, okay, they could have gotten mm-hmm. the clothes from the reformers, but. the Yeah, the face makeup is what got me because I'm like, I mean, it didn't seem like makeup was worn from the people I saw. Right. Maybe it was. But I'm like, do they just take like mud and like spot do the spots? My head canon says that Dr. Finn has something in that kit. Mm, okay. But yeah. I would have liked some sort of explanation. That's a big thing to just kind of drop abruptly. Like there should have been like a little transition of like, all right, well, or Tomlin's like, I've got a plan. And then if they showed up, I would have been fine. Sure. If, if Tomlin just <laughs> said something like that. But I agree, it was a little jarring 
and it is one of those things you just kind of go it's it's done mm. it's you know but i did i also wondered like clothing i can justify i can't really figure out how they got the spots to look the way that they did and they could have fixed that in a couple ways by either having some sort of an explanation before they leave because maybe a standard piece of equipment on an away mission is having some sort of a image inducer or some sort of a like temporary tattoo machine yeah. or they could have covered that instead of doing the scene with Yafit. They could have had mm. some sort of plastic surgery procedure going on where we're introduced to some sort of tech that just does that stuff on the fly. Yeah, I'm assuming one of them had something that I mean, how, they're so advanced technologically that there's got to be something on one of them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know what, if that if not, they just probably found some dirt and uh, painted some some mud on their face. And yet still not advanced enough to not have a Lara just wear like a headband. I know. Like, yeah, I was like, I mean, at least they thought of that. They have to cover up that she has alien features. Yeah, so, so they could do all the markings, but apparently they couldn't get rid of her uh, forehead ridges temporarily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the team finds Kelly and stops the torture. Again, another reason this should have been episode two is because now we finally get to see Alara being a security officer. Yep. I love <laughs> the scene of her ripping the doors off. Yeah. And like when she picks up uh, Hamillac. Yeah. And holds him up. I am um, one of my favorite scenes from this is when Ed walks up to the guard and is like, "Oh my God, Nick!" And like, "How long have you been guarding?" Yeah. And then he like stuns him. I was like, "That's actually really smart." And um, what I thought was interesting is when they got to Kelly, she's obviously in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. So okay, they said this is a truth serum. Is it a truth serum because it causes so much pain that it gets people to talk, or like because in my head it was like. The Harry Potter-esque, like, this is a truth potion. Mm -hmm. It's going to make you tell us all your secrets. And I was like, oh, it's a torture device and it's a truth serum because you're in so much pain. When he said truth serum, I thought the same thing. I thought she mm -hmm. was going to be injected with something that would force her to speak the truth. And then they would freak out when she actually revealed it. But I think yeah. they just called it a truth serum because it gets people to spill their guts, even though... From a scientific and study perspective, it's been proven that people will lie under torture just mm -hmm. to they'll they'll say what they think you want to hear just for the torture to stop. I mean, the society is very primitive, yeah. so maybe that's part of it. But they have hypodermic needles. Yeah, that's fair. I just thought of that. <laughs> and the fact, OK, this bothered me a little bit. And I understand in that situation, you just got to go with what you got. But the doctor just injected her with that other needle. Mm, without like, wouldn't thinking. she have like, what if it killed her? Right. Or what if it like was more of the truth serum? <laughs> and But now that I'm thinking about it, they had hypodermic needles. They have cars. Did they have cars? The vehicle that drives up to Alara. Oh, my God. And I didn't Kelly. Okay, they now, have guns. Never mind about the hypodermic needle. In my head, I'm like. They had horse-drawn carriages. I, they did have a car. I think it's because we were introduced to the society at the cabin first. It makes mm -hmm. them seem more primitive than they actually are. Yeah. They they obviously have... It's very much like Earth, but more post-apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. So, yeah, they can, they can have hypodermic needles. They have cars. <laughs> Ed tries convincing Hamlack that their world is a bio-vessel headed toward a star, but he resists. He admits that there might be something beyond the universe they know, but he's not willing to allow their way of life to be interrupted by mere suspicions, claiming that his people are not ready. Ed stuns him before they leave. Mm hmm. One of my favorite names is Nice Name. It's not because it's just the humor in this episode I enjoyed. I don't know if you did. I thought so. I enjoyed some of the humor. I love the same scene that you do where. He's like joking with the guard about being old friends and stuff. And mm -hmm. even the follow through of it yeah. where he's already stunned him and he's like, oh, good to see you, buddy. And like walks yeah. in. I love that. I thought that line is so cringe. Really? I loved it. Nice name. Oh, just kidding. Like that's like a two year old's <laughs> insult. I because to me, this again, bringing it back to if it was an episode two, it would show Ed figuring out how to command mm -hmm. and how to be i i guess i maybe i'm a two-year-old but i loved that yeah. i just i i loved the humor and like the sarcasm even kelly had 
talking about whole, her like, friends your at Central Park. Yeah. And- yeah. So there's just, there's stuff about it where, again, it brings me, it brings a little more realness to it. Sure. I do think it's funny. It's so far in the future and they reference so much from our time, mm-hmm. but it's like they try to like push it off. It's, it's, it's the history of Earth. I've seen some stuff about that that Seth MacFarlane has said in interviews and stuff. And the reason that they reference like modern things so much is not really for any canonical reason within the show. It's that if they reference things that we've never heard of, mm-hmm. then what good does that serve anything? Well, it goes back to like how he has Kermit on his desk. Yeah. And I love that because Kermit, I identify with that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same thing. Like I I think in the last episode, Kelly quotes Oh God! I like want to say Destiny's Beyonce. Child. Destiny's Child, as you know, Earth's great, one of Earth's greatest yeah. writers or whatever. But and, and it's something too where it's all stuff I know, and it, it it makes sense that they do that. It's just when you really think about how far in the future yeah. it is. If they start referencing artists and shows and movies that mm-hmm. are fictional that were supposed to happen between our time and their time. Now you have another layer of, well, now I need to explain that thing to the audience so they'll get mm-hmm. the reference. And that's just a mess. It's not worth doing. Well, in the next generation, they did stuff like that, too. Sure. Like Picard, Picard quoting Shakespeare, old Shakespeare. And yeah, so it, it's not that far off. It's just more of a, a more of a casual, not as like not as like old literature. Yeah, they're not as cultured <laughs> pop, that, pop culture yeah. versus I mean, Shakespeare's kind of pop culture, but you, it, <laughs> they did quote Emerson in this. They did. So there are they there there is some tie-ins, and I just that was just something I've noticed. They're like, I mean, it makes sense now. Normal instead of refined. Yes, and you know, Picard, Captain Picard, was a pretty refined dude, sure. and so, <laughs> which is how he would describe himself as a pretty refined dude. If you ask him, he will say he's a refined dude. <laughs> so that is something that I. I, I do enjoy about this show is because I'm I'm not a pretty refined dude. Mm-hmm. I have read stuff like that in college and Shakespeare, but I love this kind of like I want to see more Kermit the Frog because mm-hmm. that brings me happy, warm memories from when I was a kid. The reformers show the away team a metal hatch that they say is a forbidden place, and Isaac opens it, and this is where they're miraculously back in their uniforms, and the spots are gone, and again, no explanation. I wish I noticed that. I think. I was making a note while I was watching. This is where we first see Isaac use his fingers oh, to that's hack right. into something yeah. or diagnostic the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> diagnostic the door? <laughs> cyber <laughs> Access hack. the door panel and cyber hack it. He was a hacker. But I think I was so enthralled with that that I didn't even notice that. Also, Kelly's face looked less jacked up. That's also true. That I think we can explain easily. Mm-hmm. Just, just getting Dr. to Finn. the hatch. Dr. Finn took care of her. But it doesn't explain why their clothes are gone. No, it doesn't. Because when they when they got to the hatch, were they still wearing? They're back in uniform. All right, maybe they just changed. Maybe had a drive by wherever the reformers meet up and <laughs> changed back into their uniforms. I and- mean, it seems like they have a little more urgency than like getting out of the clothing that they're wearing. But yeah, it's a strange choice. But yeah, I I think with time limits and they probably just had. I wonder if there's like scenes deleted scenes and stuff oh no doubt that are so that i would love to see but i yeah but i i I distinctly remember when they're in the elevator and ed's being super awkward (laughs) that kelly's face looked a lot uh less beat up she's cleaned up and i could like in my head i was like oh that's because dr finn treated her Mm -hmm. but i totally missed that they had changed back oh yeah yeah i I enjoy the elevator bit too i thought that was Mm -hmm. that was good got any fun weekend plans (laughs) thousand light years from earth and you're still awkward in the elevator coo 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 yeah i i it made me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah exactly that's why it's good the hatch leads to the bioship's bridge where they access a recorded message from Jahavas Daral. he says that the ship was designed to explore space but due to their remote location travel to the nearest habitable planet would take centuries leading them to build the bioship On its journey, an ion storm took out the engines, leaving it stranded in space. The ship has been stranded so long that over the 2,000 years it's been in operation, the people have forgotten their history. He had a very specific set of skills. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to. (laughs) I would have been upset had you not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is where we see Liam Neeson. Mm -hmm. 
if you don't know who he is, um, he's an actor. Um, but <laughs> um, I just, how do you forget? Like, how do you forget all of that? They do a little bit try to explain it in the sense that in our last 2000 years, we've mm-hmm. certainly forgot about a lot of things. That's true. But at the same time, they live in a place the size of New York City. Yeah. I think within 2000 years, the amount of questioning that would have happened within that time, because you live in such a small space, would have led to some sort of conclusion. And also, how did they I, I want to know, like, what in the religion explain the fact that there were walls? True. But I guess the thing is, they were saying, like, it's 2000 years of enough generations go by that things get fuzzy. Yeah. And maybe like it's like the Maze Runner where you're just like, this is my world. Like I live within these walls. I just I want to know what the explanation in their religion Mm -hmm. was for the walls. Like, why can't we go past this point? Probably just because they're whatever they believed in. It didn't want them to. Yeah. Dural's world doesn't go beyond this place. This is it. This is where you live. But Dural seemed like such a reasonable guy. He was like it's. And so, like, it it shows, too, how over time, I think it's an allegory for how religious or anything really can be twisted to whoever has their hands on oh, it totally. and given to the public or given to people and think how things get twisted over time and how dangerous it can be. Because mm-hmm. there was nothing, there was nothing even in their religion about what Dural's wishes were for these people. It was no. all just actions being taken in the name of Dural without any like Dural hates this and Dural hates that. It was never that. It was just don't defy the will of Dural. We don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. No. It's just like it's blind faith. And you're trusting the person who's in power who was Hamilak mm-hmm. to be giving you the guidance. So they think they're doing the right thing, but he's just kind of like a puppeteer just being he's just evil and he's he's using it to bend people to do what he wants he's on a power trip and now he could have grown up in a way that that existed before him and then that kind of goes down the line he does say like i'm not going to interrupt a system that has kept order for the last two thousand years so that he might think that's the only way it's just so awful he is his actions are awful i don't know if he's the worst because there is a little smile on his face that's the thing is like he just because of the way the not taking responsibility Mm -hmm. inciting the mass hysteria mob kind of mentality it it might be what he believes but there's just something slimy about him yeah oh i'm i'm not even alluding to the smile while he's doing that but the smile that he gets just very quickly on his face when the the sunroof opens up and he sees the stars Mm -hmm. he knows the world's changing but he i i noticed just a little like up curl of his mouth. One thing, well, the ship engine only takes 24 hours to fix, yeah. by the way, which, you know, I mean, so much technological advances have happened. That makes sense. And Ed's like, we're going to send people here to teach you how to get reacquainted mm-hmm. with your ship. You'll take back what is yours, essentially. With the one thing, when that dome opens, I don't think people would be calm. I think people would be losing their minds there would be mass panic yes. there'd be mass hysteria yes. and it wouldn't just be like wow it's nighttime for the first time in my entire life it's dark and there's stars and oh wow this is great i feel like people it'd be like the purge i feel like like i just people would not handle it well i thought i'm i'm glad you used the phrase mass hysteria because i literally wrote the same thing like would mm-hmm. these people not interpret this as a godlike event like it's the rapture or something yeah and just start mm-hmm. freaking out it, it would be like looting and just Everybody was so cool, calm, and collected. Maybe part of their religion teaches them that someday this would happen? Maybe. Although we're seeing (laughs) a very isolated portion of society in this moment. So who knows what the rest of these people did? I feel like like Hamillac would be also freaking out. One would think. And yeah, that's where I notice him like not only calm, but like a slight smile. And I feel like the reformers, even believing that things could be different and there's something out there, they'd be scared too. Totally. 
I would be it's scared. Terrifying. Like, say, like, in our world, if all of a sudden we have night and day, and all of a sudden it's just day all the time, I think people would be like kind of weirded out for a while. But I think people start panicking. But to have something where it's day all the time, and then it opens, like your your sky is opening up, right? Like. Who took all the light? Like, dark is scarier than light is. Yes, that's true. My example's awful. But, like, when it opens up, I would feel like my sky was being destroyed and I was going to be sucked into this black vacuum. Why would you not think that? So, I... And that that goes back to how it's a little bit more primitive. Mm -hmm. And I was also like, they don't have night. Like, how do you... I mean, you adapt to that Yeah, he literally says, what is night? (laughs) Yeah, and I just... My immediate thing was, this is not how it would go. (laughs) But perhaps these people are more stoic and they're panicking inside. Yeah. But I I just feel like it it was too much of a drastic, like, hey, they have a sunroof. Let's just open it up with no regard for how they might react to this. Yeah, it was a little brazen. Uh, We get the quote from Dr. Finn, the one that you mentioned earlier. If the stars should appear once in a thousand years, how would man believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of God? One thing that made I wrote down that I is if like because he did you did mention he smiled. But did Hamilak believe his own BS or did he know? I think he. Hmm. I don't know if he honestly even cared. I think he saw it as a way to keep order, and it didn't really go farther than that for him. But the thing is now, his whole dynamic with the group changes. He won't be in power anymore. Oh, yeah. That's going away. So maybe because the outsiders were there, meaning the crew from the Orville, people were more open or whispers about how there is a space beyond Mm -hmm. what they have. There's a sky and I don't know. I just I had trouble reconciling the fact that they all just were so like, wow, it's the sky. Yeah, same. So one thing I will say about them is like the the, the, the their like markings look like cheetah marks to me. True. It actually remind me of the trill. The krill? No, the trill from Deep Space Nine. I haven't seen Deep Space Nine. Are you, have you seen uh, the cast of Deep Space Nine? Yes. So Jedzia Dax. Oh, it does. She has those spots along her. I wonder if it was like kind of a little bit of a nod to that. That's what I'm wondering. Whoa. And it was like there were specific places that they were, but definitely on the temples. Mm -hmm. And And they had like more on the forehead than a trill would, but that Mm kind of like side spotting. Very similar. I feel like that's a direct nod. Yeah. I, I just I've loved seeing the different alien races mm-hmm. and interpretations. And so I don't know. I think that's it's, it's a difficult thing to come up with. And I've just liked what they've done with all of that so far. The last thing that happens here is that Ed tells the reformers that the union will send a crew to train its inhabitants to control the ship. And they thank him for giving them a future because Mm-hmm. this does ultimately save everybody that's kind of the only justification i think you can give ed for the decision he makes is like these people are dead in six months if their mentality doesn't change instantly yeah i mean that would be a good justification for opening the dome and just being like it maybe they even were like this might cause mass hysteria and maybe it did and we only saw like you said a sampling of the population and there were just people losing their minds like if you panned the camera left. Yep. And so the line that stuck out to me was, you know, they gave them back their future. Tomlin and the leader of the room, Reformers, dealt with being on the bridge and, like, seeing all of that very well. Yeah. Again, I think the any of the Reformers group are much more open to this idea of the beyond. And especially in the fact that they're in the presence of the Orville crew. Like, they've already yeah. accepted, okay, there's something else out there. So then getting kind of the reality almost confirms probably rumors and suspicions that they've had. Yeah. Okay, then. What's your big takeaway from this episode? I love that they delved into some philosophical issues. And we did learn more about some of the characters while 
it may have been a little out of order, I still got to learn more about them. And I personally, lo- I thought the humor in this episode was a lot drier, and I really like that. And I, I'm a very sarcastic person, and there's a lot of sarcasm in this, which mm-hmm. I appreciated. I don't know. Overall, I really liked this episode, and while it may not have been the most action-packed or had, like, crazy things going on, I thought it was a very thoughtful and interesting concept to be dealt with. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I love the premise. Like you said, it's it's an interesting thing to explore, a society that's literally forgot its origins. And there, it was smart to use the fact that it's drifting towards a star as some like sense of urgency. Like, this is why we mm-hmm. need to help these people and we can't just leave them alone. I do really wish this had been the second episode because I don't, I just don't like command performance at all. <laughs> and I, I think this would have started off the series in a much stronger way. And I fear that there were people that maybe bailed on the show after episode two that where if this had been the second, they would have hung in knowing what they were ultimately mm-hmm. going for because we don't get a good philosophical question until episode three. So if they yeah. had done that right away with episode two, then it would have showed the audience, oh, okay, okay. They're not just here to crack jokes. They're exploring these other concepts, too. Yeah, I would have been down if this was episode two, because I know we always talk about how a nod to the next generation or any Star Trek Mm -hmm. series. It's like that philosophical issues. This one was lighter than about a girl, (laughs) but it, it was that same kind of away mission dealing with another culture and what they're going through and how... The ultimate goal is to help them and then figure out how to help them in the best way for them. And then plus there was a lot of good exposition just learning about different characters' relationships and who they were. And I just, I I mean, I, I wish they had stuck with the original order because I think the first three episodes then would have been so strong. Agreed. And I feel like I wouldn't be as critical of the command performance episode. Mm, I also, yeah, I was wondering that if this had been the second one. Would we have viewed Alara's behaviors differently when she had already been presented as a competent officer in this one? Yeah, I think I would have been a little more like, all right, let's see. Let's dig into why she's acting like this. But instead, it was just, yeah, I don't know. And it's just interesting because they changed the order of mm-hmm. things. And now, I mean, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, sure. And it, we're going to obviously have different opinions than other people will. But it was a strong episode, and I fully support that this should have been an episode two. And I wish that whoever the test audience was just didn't get it. They were wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they were wrong. <laughs> as far as Ed's final decision goes, uh, I'm not sure that I can fully support it, even though he did do it to kind of save their lives and like shock the society. He took a massive shortcut uh, in shocking them into accepting a new truth, but didn't consider the consequences of what he was doing and and taking that shortcut. Uh, the thing that I think we really missed out on that kind of bummed me out, that's kind of the, the Star Trek-y thing to do, would be to sit down with the crew and really talk about it. I really mm-hmm. would have loved to hear that conversation debating whether or not this was a good idea. Like, he makes that decision in a, in a split second and says, open it up. We have the option. Open it up. Why wouldn't we? Well, I don't know. Let's talk about that. That's a great conversation that I feel we were robbed of. Yeah, I I have to think part of it is runtime. Oh, totally. And limitations. And like a lot of the crew was there. And so it may have been one of those. Obviously, sometimes we have to make our own Mm headcanon that we fill in the blanks. And clearly the society dealt with it well. They didn't freak out. Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe a newsletter should have been passed around saying like, hey, just so you know, and like, let let that marinate for about mm-hmm. a week, have the reformers who are more open to those ideas start. But in a way, if they had waited, it might have been worse. It might have been. If people had time to think about it and those who were like, this isn't true, this is all lies and like maybe caused more problems. So, I mean, maybe in some ways what he did was the right thing. It just... There was always a lot of what ifs for sure. Yeah. But it, from what I saw, it clearly worked out. The society dealt with it well. And so I think that's part of like where you take that piece, like peace as in P E A C E, mm-hmm. the peace of mind that it's, oh, this is fine. It's all okay. Like 
it worked out. Because if they wanted us to think that the society didn't deal with it well, there'd just be people screaming and fires in the background. <laughs> Which actually would have been kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, it would have been. That would have been a, a joke, but it would have been a sad joke. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I... Yeah, they don't really. They do have sometimes. They have those sit down discussions. They do sometimes. I just wish they had done it here. I would have loved to see it because yeah. we got a lot of that in the third episode, and that was some of my favorite stuff in that one. Also, if this was an episode two, people would have been like Liam Neeson's in this. Like it would have right? been. I just. I feel like I'm sorry. This would have been a good episode two. It would have. I um. I also wonder if they could have just gone an alternate route instead of opening the sun doors. So what if they had completed the repairs and they taught the reformers how to run the ship separately from the rest of society and didn't make society aware? And then they could have left the decision of what to do to their society instead of making the decision for them. That's also a good thought because this was like a decision forced upon them. But they did see how the society. Yeah, it's that whole morality thing. They beat a guy to death in the streets. You know, I think part of it is it's like that whole culture thing where it's like who's who has the right to decide what's best for them. Apparently, Ed does. (laughs) Yeah, apparently Ed Mercer (laughs) can make that call. It also, though, made me think if the union has any sort of prime directive. They haven't alluded to anything like that. No, they haven't. And I'm not I'm not sure. Here's the other weird thing. I'm not sure it would apply here. Because the prime directive is usually to not kind of make yourself known to a society that hasn't achieved space travel. But they're a society that forgot that they've (laughs) achieved space travel. That's such a weird loophole, if that's the case. Also, okay, if we're going to really break it down, when they found the ship, they should have contacted the union headquarters and been like, what do we do with this? Like. Maybe go check it out, but I honestly think there's probably some protocol. Mm. But maybe this is how they do. Like, you come across something, you don't have time to wait on a response. You got to figure out. And I think the urgency of the fact that there may have been, or they were going to collide and die. So there was a, let's investigate and see what, but it could have been so dangerous. It could have been, it could have been so many different Mm -hmm. things. So I guess all of it is very much like, what if... I mean, Ed definitely leaned towards the side of let's do what we need to do to make sure these people survive. And you got to give him credit for that. I do feel Mm -hmm. like he did some things in the process that uh, our Captain Picard may not have liked (laughs) and maybe would have liked to see him uh, try to do the thing to save everybody while still protecting their society's way of life and not interfering Mm -hmm. with their natural evolution in a way. but. Obviously, this is a different structure, and I know this. none of this, I don't think, argument happens had we not seen the structure of how Starfleet functions. Yeah. So I think that ha- like we don't know necessarily what the union's take on all of this stuff is. So maybe those, like you said, that, those procedures don't exist here, and it is up to the captain mm-hmm. to kind of make all those choices. I think there's just a lot that we're allowed to kind of fill in. Which I do like because it's a it's a brand new universe. While it has similarities to things that we love, like it's making its own way. And I think in some ways the show is dealing with some tough issues. And I think by showing how the people reacted when the dome opened, it's meant to be like a, this was the right mm. call. Like kind of so the audience can walk away going, oh, that was the right thing to do. Because I, I mean, I bet it... Sometimes I just, it sucks with the limitations on time frames for shows that are on like cable and networks and stuff because they only have like 43 minutes to tell yeah. the story. And I'm sure there's so much that I would love to have seen in it and like all the like the deleted scenes. Like I would have loved to see the costume change kind of thing because I, I love that kind of storytelling. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm more willing to be like, all right, I get it. You only have 43 minutes to do this. I, I'll let it slide. And ultimately, it ended up being a good episode, even with all those kind of questions and concerns. I still enjoyed it and thought it was one of the better ones we watched so far. Granted, Mm -hmm. we're only four episodes in, but it's definitely one of the stronger episodes so far. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed this episode and 
I'm excited for the next one. Yeah. But before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband is also a huge fan of the show. And it's time for Mark's one sentence review. It's cool if the farm boy wants to go wander around with the aliens. Nothing bad ever happens to farm boys. Quantum Drive is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks... You can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.